You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, you know, someone has said in life that what happens to you is about 10% and how you respond to it is about 90%. I want you to think about that with me for just a moment. 10% of life is what happens to you. 90% is how you respond to it. Now, we've been talking about trials. So where would that statement have more truth than in the matter of trials? 10% what happens, 90% how we respond. Now, to lay the foundation for this week's message on trials, I have asked one of our members, several years been a member of our church. Not everyone knows all of our members, obviously, especially with two services. This particular family attends this, the 9 o'clock service, but she was so lovingly, she lovingly accepted my invitation to come to the 1045. So, Robbie, would you please come and stand with me? Robbie Catrone here at the, uh, where are you at, Robbie? There you are. Okay, take your time. So I called Robbie, and I said, Robbie, I want you to give a testimony. Now, what I know about Robbie's testimony is because we have had conversations, right? We've talked. Um, she's called me several times. In fact, when what she shared with, with you this morning, she called me the day it happened when she found out actually before she actually went to where it happened. When I thought about who to ask, it's interesting. I went, yesterday I was in my office just sort of refreshing and studying, and I went through the entire church membership. True story. I mean, everybody. I mean, you. Everybody. The entire church membership. And what's amazing is this. I thought about each one of you as I went through that list. It took me a while to do it. I was just praying over, okay, who do I ask to do this? And then I came to this conclusion I could ask everybody. There's not one person in this room that I have not had a conversation with up to, let's say, 30 minutes to an hour, which are most of you, if not all of you, and some have known me, you know, in a, in a much deeper way than that, where I have not experienced something in your life that was a deep trial, that was a, a very hard trial. So we all could be giving a testimony today, but I asked Robbie to give one, and I want you to share. I'll, t- I'll just tell you the intro is her first husband years ago committed suicide, and that was a tough loss. But I want you to hear kind of the rest of the story, and you can touch on that if you'd like, but thank you so much. You did such a good job the first service. You don't even have to do as good the second service. <laughs> she said, there's a lot more people here. <laughs> do the best you can. Okay. So my first husband committed suicide. Yeah, there you go. Okay. My first husband committed suicide back in uh, 2010. And um, when that happened, I started falling back out of church, um, turning away from God because I just didn't understand how how that could happen. Um, And then, but I know he didn't leave me. I left him. So... I started you know, praying and asking for forgiveness um, for the things I've been doing. And then um, I met my second husband, Curtis. He was a great man. Um, he, um, God put him in my life when I needed him. I was at my weakest and my lowest point. And that's another thing. When I'm at my weakest, even today, that's when I feel God the strongest. Mm. And he's, I, I know he's with me. Um, so Curtis didn't only do me good. He did um, my children good, which they're all grown. 
but um, they go to Georgia, and they weren't used to having someone that was patient, loving, kind to them, you know. So um, anyway, um, we would read the word together, pray, and he did work in Alaska. We both worked for the Department of Defense. Um, I retired out when my daughter was having my first grandbaby. I'm like, we're going home. (laughs) Um, But he continued to work in Alaska. He loved it. We went back and forth. Um, And there was just one day I couldn't get a hold of him, which was very strange because he always texts me first thing in the morning. And um, I had a friend go knock on the door, and he didn't answer, but she could hear our dog barking. And then my oldest daughter called the police up there, and they went, and they broke into the house, and they found him um, deceased. Um, He had had a cerebral aneurysm. Um, But as soon as I heard... um, the officer tell me he was sorry. There, there's nothing they could do. Um, he was gone. I instantly started praying because I'd already been through it once, and I'm like, nope. Um, because I know God is faithful, and He is bringing me through this. I, and I'm not saying I don't have a bad days. I do. I cry a lot. It's been a year, um, but it still feels like yesterday. We had such a strong bond um he uh, yeah i just and i, I just like said I, I he i'm i know he's faithful and he has to have a plan there has to be a reason <laughs> behind this um but it definitely makes you stronger amen so you did a great job could you give her a hand for me thank you that was hard thank you so much robbie when Robbie called me right when it, she got the news, we talked for about an hour on the phone. We prayed together. We talked together. Her husband, when he was, like I said, they go back and forth from Alaska. I was so blessed to have known him. Uh, he'd come to the church over there in the auditorium and the times he was back from his job in Alaska. And uh, thank you, Robbie, for that. God allows difficult circumstances to come into our lives. Very difficult. We just heard from one of our sisters in Christ who has lost two husbands in her lifetime. Some of you have know what that's like to lose a husband. Remember for just a moment our definition of a trial. It's on the screen, and it is this. We've defined a trial as a painful circumstance that's been allowed by God. Now, I want you to just for a moment just meditate on that word allowed, just for a moment, because I think that's one that we can easily just kind of skip over <laughs> And, and, and not get the full impact of the definition. This painful circumstance has been allowed by God. And the purpose of it is to transform me. It's to change me. It's to change my conduct. It's to change my behavior. It's to change my character. God is using the trial for a very specific purpose in my life. And, and what he wants to do is turn that trial into gold. And he can only do that. As we submit to him, as we surrender to him, as a moment ago, we worshiped. And in many ways, what worship is, is it's full surrender. It's it's admitting that, God, you are everything and I'm, I'm nothing. It's confessing our sins before a God who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And we did that this morning in that confessional prayer. 
We understand that, that it, it, we, we need to come to a place of total submission. God is using trials to turn me into gold if I accept them. So I think what we heard from our, our, our sister this morning, Miss Robbie, is that she has accepted this trial. It's tough. She said, it's tough. I have bad days, but I've accepted it. So here's the question this morning. What if we don't accept it? What if we don't? Does God have anything to say about that? If we just decide we're not going to accept the trial, we're going to live. We may go to church. We may kind of go through the motions. We may kind of play the, the, the plastic faced and the, give all the little Christian platitudes. But at the end of the day, we're, we're not going to let God off the hook for this trial. I mean, we're going to continue to fight against what God is trying to do. If you feel that way at all, that I, I want you to listen very specifically to the message today. And I also want everybody, obviously, to listen because I think as a, in, a, in a warning type of a way, we can see what potentially our trials could lead to. Now, let's review, shall we? Hebrews 12. Now, we've already been in Hebrews 12, and I want to read the passage beginning in verse 5 that we've already studied quickly as a way of introduction. So look, if you would, on the screen. In the first message, we well, let's put Job 23 first. I didn't do that yet. I said I would do this every sermon. I messed up. Let me do this first. But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That's the message. The focus this morning, though, is this. When he has tried me. When we come to the reality that it is God that is allowing this in our lives. God is the one who allowed it. God has not abandoned me in my trial, but God is coming near to me in my trial. Now let's go to Hebrews 12. The Bible says here, And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as children? Now, these are encouraging words. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. That's another word for trials. Don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. He chastises each one he accepts as his child. And so as you endure this divine discipline, oh man, that word endure, perseverance would be so easy if it weren't for trials. Amen. I mean, it'd be easy to endure. The Christian life actually is a great life until the trials come, and then it's like, whoa, (laughs) this is difficult. So perseverance would be easy were it not for trials. So he says this, as you endure this divine discipline, remember, remember this, God is treating you as his own children. Who in the world has ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? Who's ever heard of that? So if you're this morning, you're like, dude, this, this series has really been a bummer for me because, man, life is great. Money's great. There's no problems. My wife and I have never been in an argument. I have no idea what you're talking about. That's strange because all of God's kids are getting it. We're like all getting it. Like if you belong to God, you understand what I'm talking about. And if you don't understand, maybe you don't belong to God. Listen, as you read If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a few years. They did the best they could. But God's discipline is always good for us. He's the perfect parent so that we might share in his holiness. That word holiness is the common word I'm finding in every passage regarding trials. That's what God's going for in all of this is more holiness. 
No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, and all of God's people said, amen, right there, amen. But afterward, how many of you like when the trial's over? Isn't that a blessing? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, nothing like a trial when it finally does its perfect work. I come forth as gold. Woo, praise the Lord. Sometimes trials last longer than others. But, but afterward, notice what they do. There will be a peaceful harvest of right living for all those who have been trained in this way. But what if you decide not to be trained by it? What if you reject the training? What if you say, I'm not going to let this do what God wants it to do in my life? I'm not going to allow it. I'm just, I'm just not. I'm just, this is not something I can accept. And I'm going to live with some frustration and anger. And we'll just see kind of where that leads. Well, I think you're now ready to hear the next verse in the text. So what I'd like to do is take a moment and talk to you about five very specific things. Five outcomes that my trials could produce if I don't accept them. All right, here's the first one. Trials could lead to discouragement. They could. Now listen to the text, verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. He's talked here about the discipline of the Lord. He's talked about the the trials that we face. And then he goes on to this statement that he acknowledges that they're tough, that they're difficult. In fact, drooping hands were used of the children of Israel in Exodus chapter number 14 on their journey to the promised land because it was so tough and they wanted to quit. Can you imagine this morning? Now, a lot of you know me really well because you've been here a while. But you know what? Most people say after they know me for a month, they pretty much know me, you know. So just imagine this morning, knowing what I just said, just imagine this morning if I would have come up this morning like this. We'll be in Hebrews 12 today. Anyway, hope you all enjoy the sermon. I guarantee you somebody would go like this. Martha, that ain't preacher. Something's wrong with him. And if you invited the guest, you'd say, I'm so sorry. I told you the guy was like energetic and we keep you asleep. Something's off. He's not himself. You would know just based on the fact that I had drooping hands and weak knees. Something is not right. Drooping hands and weak knees are the physical symptoms of discouragement, and we all have them sometimes. It's true. All of us get discouraged. We all have moments. Listen, there are times on Sunday morning that what I appear to be is not exactly sometimes how I feel. I mean, sometimes I have to kind of put on some things, and it's not that I'm trying to be a fake. It's just it's tough. Sometimes a little off kilter. Sometimes things affect me. Things I go through, trials, things I hear, things I experience, and it's okay. Robbie said, hey, not every day is a good day. I still cry. I still get frustrated. I'm still lonely. I'm still hurting at times. So notice the next phrase in Hebrews 12, verse 13, where it says this. Make straight paths for your feet. Because when you are going through a trial, there's no time to take a walk in the park. Make straight paths for your feet. I don't have any surplus energy when I'm going through a trial. None. It's all I can do to get up out of bed, go to work, and just come home and and try to survive. Are you with me? You've been there. It's just all you can do to just, you know, but you know what I'm talking about. Just, you know, getting up and driving out of town when you know you've got a trial back home. Robbie, you know what I'm talking about. 
You shared this morning that testimony. And there's times when I'm sure it's just all you can do to just survive the day. Discouragement is real and it happens. Clearly, this is a picture of someone who is discouraged. They are under God's hand. And there's, there's some, they're trying to remain under God's hand. But it's not easy to, remember that, hupomene. Remain under. That's the Greek word. That's the meaning. Just to stay under God's loving hand. Because he's, he's going to, you're going to come out of this okay. Don't get out from underneath the hand of God. But what if that person is in denial? What if that person is finger-pointing? What if that person is blame-shifting? When we begin to do those things, it heightens discouragement in our lives, and it reveals something that we're not accepting what God has planned for our life. But notice, again, what I said in the first point. And Jerry, if you'd put that first point up there again, just notice that, that I said trials could lead to discouragement. They could. But it doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't have to linger. I had someone after the first service, they said something very profound to me. They said, Pastor, you know what? Thank you for the message this morning because I have lingered way too long in discouragement. And it's about to turn into something much worse. Thank you. And I hope that others will thank me or thank the Lord. Forgive me, that that was a little self-serving. I don't mean it that way. I just thank God for the message. Thank God for the word because at the end of the day, Some of us today may be lingering in discouragement that could turn to depression, that could turn to some other things. If we are not careful, there may be a season of grief and disappointment and discouragement, but it doesn't have to stay that way. God's purpose in all of this, hey, he was a healer then, he's a healer now. God wants to heal you. You can get up, you can go on in God's strength, but if you don't, then notice this. That discouragement can lead to dislocation. Notice in the text, because discouragement is a problem, but dislocation is a serious problem. Look, if you would, please, after he says, make, your, make straight paths for your feet. And then he says, so what is lame? Now, what is lame is discouragement. It's the small injury. It's not the big deal. It's not, I mean, you're discouraged. Everybody gets discouraged. Everybody, look, we already said earlier on in the series, right, that God doesn't necessarily require us to be happy about the stuff that happens to us, right? I'm not happy about the trials. I, I, I can count it all joy, but that's an entirely different thing. That's supernatural. That's something only God can do. But me, Erica Pacey, just, just <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm not always happy. And so when what is lame, that's discouragement, If it doesn't stop there, it could lead to your, look at it, something being put out of joint. I'm resisting the refining fire of God. I'm resisting the discipline of the Lord. And I'm trying to get out from underneath the pressure. I'm deciding I I don't want to be under the hand of God. So I try to get out from underneath. I went out to eat this week with Dave Chittam for lunch. And we were just talking, having, we had a great time. And Dave mentioned to me that his daughter, Holland Chittum, had surgery last week. And I said, really, what happened? So he tried to tell me, and I said, never mind, give me Holland's number. I'll call her. Now, Holland was in our youth group. She got saved at Gospelite. She got baptized at Gospelite, and she's now a preacher's wife. Cool story. So Holland was walking where she lives, and she she, she put her foot a wrong way on, a, on a, a root. 
of a tree, and, and she sprained her ankle. And she goes, I tweaked it. And it was like, when it first happened, I was like, whoa. And I, and I, I should have, she a preacher, I should have just stopped there. It wasn't that bad. I just barely tweaked it. I mean, it was, just, it was just a little bit lame. It was just twisted. It wasn't a big deal. But what I did, preacher, where I made my mistake was, I tried to overcompensate with the other ankle, and I broke that one. And I heard it go, Everybody okay? <laughs> Four or five people fainting. Preacher, don't be so graphic on your illustrations, you know. So I've got a sprained ankle, big deal. I've got a broken, ang- I've got a broken ankle, massive deal, catastrophic, surgery. Sonia has been spending the whole week up in Heber Springs taking care of Holland and the kids because what was a small injury because she, she tried to get out from under... Isn't it wonderful when God lets you have lunch with an elder and you get the perfect illustration for your sermon? I'm really sorry Holland had to break her ankle, but it served as a great illustration for this truth. God is already using this trial. You see, this is what I'm trying to say. What is lame, hey, listen, don't let it go past discouragement because if you do, what is lame will be put out of joint, dislocated. It's interesting because in other translations, in the NIV it says, will be disabled. In the New King James, it actually uses the word, and I really like this one the best, dislocated. Because it's one thing to have a sprained ankle, it's an entirely other thing to have a dislocated ankle. Because that's very serious. But notice again in God's word, Hebrews 12, 13. So what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is what God wants for your trial. This is what God wants for you when you're going through something difficult. He wants to heal you. Listen, Robbie's not a freak show. She is a product of the grace of God. It's not like we should be thinking, I can't believe that is horrible. I can't believe she's, act- she's acting like it's no big deal. That's not what she said. It's, it was awful. I got the first phone call. I can tell you she was to pieces. But she never stopped coming to church. She never stopped reading God's word. She trusted him through it all because she knew he was faithful. He's the same God when she was married to her husband as she is now that he's in heaven. He's the same God. Are you with me? It's like we sing these songs, but they can be applied to every little portion of our lives. He's the healer. God wants you to be healed. God doesn't want the trial to devastate you. God doesn't want the trial to, trial to destroy your life. He wants it to cause a little pain. Yes, he wants it to, to get you, your attention. Yes, But he wants you to go on and to become gold, more like him. But if I resist, a more serious injury could come. Something more serious, a lasting injury, because discouragement could lead to dislocation. Notice as it moves on in the text, verse 14 says, Instead, strive for peace. Strive for peace with everyone. We've often defined peace here at Gospel Light as the absence of relational strife. Now, what what I want you to see taking place here in the passage is a relationship. Because when you're going through trial, you need people. You need people. That's that's why we come to church oftentimes is just to be what? Encouraged, right? We we just, that's why I, you know, my heart breaks sometimes. Kyle's sitting all by himself. I'm like, Kyle, are you okay? (laughs) I use Kyle as an illustration because I know he's okay, even if he is sitting by himself. I would sit by him, but I got to preach. Anyway, and... uh, But sometimes I hurt for people sitting all by themselves because I wonder, could it have been a little better if somebody may have said, hey, hey, who who are you? What's your name? Can can, can we sit sit with our family? Because we need each other. 
And Scripture says here, and, and by the way, how often do you find in Scripture this, this calling for unity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ? In the church. God loves togetherness. He loves unity. And so the absence of relation or strife could be translated, strive for no strife with everyone. Strive for no strife with everyone. For instance, you might say, well, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good with my, my family. Well, are you good with your, uh, your coworkers? Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm good with my coworkers. Are you good with your church family? Everybody in your church family, you good with them? Well, I think so. What about your neighbors? Everyone. Strive for peace with everyone. And then notice in verse 14, it goes on to say, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness. Strive for holiness. Now, assessing Christians today on this matter of holiness is difficult. Because you normally don't get amens when you preach on holiness. To be honest with you, you know, oftentimes when you get on the matter of holiness, people get a little bit quirky. They're like, you know, oh, no, not again. Here we go. You know, uh, we, we got to, you know, be more like Christ. And we got to give stuff up. And, you know, preacher's going to preach against some of the things going on in the world today that I actually think are okay. And I'm doing them. It's not what I'm doing. But by the same token, if that's the way that you look at holiness, then it, it's not something you're too excited about when you should be excited about it. And in fact, that's the goal of all of this. That what, what God's trying to produce in all of us is more of holiness. And much of what we sing, in fact, what we sang this morning, I actually, in my office, I noticed the list of songs, so I, I just copied off the Holy Ground song. Here as we wait, seek your face Come and make your throne upon our praise. It's almost like we can't wait for this. God, we want you to show, show us your glory. We want more of this. In fact, I think there's a song, uh, I want more of you, God. And then we talk about God gets better and better. We, there's so much in, 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 in our worship music that indicates this desire that we should have to want more of God, more of his holiness. We want to be more like him. And yet oftentimes I find that We look at holiness as a negative thing when holiness is you operating according to your manufactured specifications. It's your best best you. Your best you is living as holy as you can possibly live. I mean, your best you is is a soul-satisfying, saturated presence of God that you were created to breathe. This is you. This is, listen, holiness is not something we need to be afraid of. Holiness is something we need more of. More of you, God. How can I get more? So Hebrews 12 verse 14 says to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness. Oh, man, I thought you'd react differently than that. I'm, after what I taught you, I thought you'd want. Let's just try it again. Ready? I mean, just give me a little something. You ready? Give me a little something. Okay. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness. Yes. Preachers preaching on holiness. I love it when he does this. This is exactly what we need. More of this. All right, you got it now. And for holiness, you want to know how important this is? For which no one, for without which no one will see the Lord. Oh, wow. I guess this is kind of important. I mean, that, that's an outstanding statement. I mean, that's one of those wow statements. Holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We are to strive for holiness. We're not going to be perfect But if we could be increasingly perfect, increasingly striving for this. Striving means we're making progress, right? 
We're becoming more like Christ. This is a goal. This is what sanctification is all about. Not perfectly, perfectly, but increasingly. More and more. In fact, the, the more you get, the more you want. That's the way it's been for me all my life. I got saved September the 1st, 1978. I guess I got like an overdose of salvation. I'm really not sure if you can get an overdose, but I think I overdosed on Jesus. I really do. Because, I mean, it's been 40-some-odd years, and honestly, it does keep on getting better. It really does. Trials, special needs kid, wife almost dies, miscarriage. I got my list of trials, okay? And I'm not saying it can compare to yours. I'm just saying I got my list. So, preacher, why are you up there preaching like Jesus is good if you've been through all that? Because <laughs> he is. He's good. He's never failed. He's, he's made our family better with all of those trials. He's made our marriage better with all of those trials. He's relationally made our kids and, and, and with their parents and with each other better because of all those trials. I can tell you firsthand that if you'll accept the trial, God will turn it into gold. He's got a plan. And I can testify to that. And I think that's what it means when it says in Scripture that faith without works is dead. Because it's not that works save you, but it's saving faith are proved by your works. It's so true. Real saving faith results in works and fruit and a desire for holiness. Because if your faith hasn't changed you, it hasn't saved you. And that's not really some sort of a crazy odd theological statement that's just so simple but it's true so what god is is going for in trials is ultimately more holiness from you and from me so if trials lead to discouragement or could lead to discouragement and if i don't respond properly and if i decide you know that that i'm not going to accept that trial then it could lead to dislocation but it gets worse because dislocation could then lead to what the passage calls in the text as bitterness. Bitterness. I don't know if you've ever experienced a bitter person, but they're not really fun to be around. Let's look, if we, if we would, just at the, at, the, at the passage. Hebrews 12, 15. It says here, see to it that no one fails. So just like it said, strive for peace with everyone. Without, no one will see the Lord. Then see to it. That no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now, that's a very important statement in Scripture. I'm not going to do some super exegesis on that. I'm just simply going to remind you that when someone says that there is a potential failing to obtain the grace of God, and you or I are to see to it that someone doesn't fail to do that, then I feel responsible. See to it. All of us. In other words, this is a relational statement. This is a statement of support for one another. Erica Pacey, see to it that your wife does not fail to obtain the grace of God when she's going through a trial. Because I, I, I want to give her grace. Do all that you can to come alongside her to help her. Hey, church members, see to it that Robbie Catrone, when she loses her husband for the second time, see to it that she doesn't fail to obtain the grace of God. She's going to need you to remind her of the goodness of God. Hey, worship pastor, thank you, George, for the songs that we sing. Because, George, see to it that every Sunday morning, you know people are coming in broken. See to it they don't fail to obtain the grace of God. Don't you show your hear me today, church. We're here today together to build one another up. We're here today together to point one another to Jesus. 
We're not here today to, to preach a good sermon. We're not here today to, to look at a man. We're here today to look at a great God who has never failed us. And you and I are to see to it that no one fails to see that. It's an amazing opportunity that we all have to support one another in our church, in our family, and in our lives. See to it to care for one another. So what does that actually mean? Well, in Galatians chapter number 5 and verse 4, it's an interesting statement. Interesting verse. For if you trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law. Simply put, that sounds like works salvation to me, doesn't it? So we're, the context in Galatians chapter 5 verse 4 is salvation, right? See to it, or rather, for if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. And here's the statement. You have fallen away from God's grace. Or you have failed to obtain the grace of God. Now that's talking about in salvation. Because falling short of the grace of God in salvation is trying to save yourself. But falling short of the grace of God in sanctification is trying to sanctify yourself. God puts a trial in my life. And he does it so that he can sanctify me. Make me more like him. Perfect me in holiness. But I reject it. I turn it away. I rebel. I refuse. I fight against it instead of saying, Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord of my life. You're Lord of this problem. I submit to you. I trust you in this storm. You are the God of the storm. And you'll calm these waves when you're good and ready, God. Not before. And I don't want you to calm them before. You just let them rage, God, until you're ready. When I submit, it's totally different than when I resist. And I fail to obtain the grace of God. The Bible says, don't let that happen to anyone you know. Don't let them do that. This is so important. They need me more than ever when they're going through a trial. Come alongside one another. Love one another. Care for one another. So how can you know if you're failing? Look at the scripture again. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness so if discouragement, if, if I don't deal with it when it's just small and, and, it, and, and it becomes dislocation and I don't deal with it when it's more severe, then it actually gets more severe. It turns to bitterness. So pay close attention here because what is the root of bitterness? How many of you have heard of that statement? Man, they've got a root of bitterness. You ever heard of that before in Scripture? Raise your hand just for a minute. Just humor me by raising your hand. All right. I know I don't do that much. I shouldn't do it at all. Because nobody ever raises their hand. But you try, right, Scott? You try. It's like a little bit. It's like, really, it's more for you than them, right? <clears throat> so thank you for the 13 of you that helped me out there. So this root of bitterness. Well, it first appears in Scripture in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Notice it on the screen. This is the original occurrence of, of, of what a root of bitterness is. I'm making this covenant with you so that no one among you, no man, no woman, no clan, no tribe, will turn away from the Lord, our God, to worship these gods and other nations. And so that no root among you. So Scripture's not talking about a plant. It's talking about a person. So that no root among you bears bitter and poisonous fruit. This is talking about a person. A person who is a poisonous, bitter fruit. What kind of person is that? Next verse, verse 19. Those who hear the warnings of this curse should not congratulate themselves thinking, I'm good. 
I'm good, man. I'm safe. Even though I'm following the desires of my own stubborn heart. That's the bitter person. The bitter person says, I'm good. I'm good. I don't, I don't need God. This trial comes. I'm going to reject the trial. I'm going to say to myself, I'm safe. And, and, and yet, I'm following the desires of my own stubborn heart. I know what the Word of God says. Yeah, I was in church Sunday. I heard a preacher preach on the bitter fruit and the trials. I heard all of that. But I, I go to my car and I say, screw it. Just forget it. I'm sorry if I shouldn't have said that. But somebody told me this morning when I slipped and said it again. This is the second time. They said, preacher, that's lightweight compared to what I hear every day at work. <laughs> but the reality is I said it to illustrate something because it's really not my nature to say something that crude. But I said it to say that's what we do. We just walk out and look at God and say, you know what, God? I, I, I don't care what he said. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live like I want to live. Hey, everybody knows I'm a, I'm a good Christian because I went to church. Now it's time to do my own thing. And this is what scripture is teaching here. I'm never going to rejoice about the thing that's happened. That person is bitter. I'm not bitter. You're bitter. <laughs> And we can tell. And there's nothing worse than living with a bitter person. And notice it says it's not just someone who's bitter, but it is a root of bitterness. This is something that, that doesn't just end at the root. It springs up. It, it gets worse. You know, I know people who have been through multiple trials, like you heard this morning, losing two husbands in one lifetime. And they have the sweetest, most precious heart for the Lord. And I know other people who have been through a lot less. And they're mean, and they're bitter, and they're angry, and they're ugly about everything else. Because they have a root of bitterness. But notice what it does in verse 15. It springs up. It doesn't stay there. It comes out. It springs up. The root of bitterness may be a secret for a while. But eventually it's coming out. It's coming out. You might can keep the secret sin secret for a while. But it's eventually coming out. The private porn problem you have will eventually come out. The secret lust that you have will eventually come out. The private resentment you have towards another person in your family is eventually coming out. It causes trouble. And many are defiled. That word defiled in the New Testament is the same word for torment. It's what demons do to people. People who let the root of bitterness spring up and it begins to defile many have, have a demonic spirit about them. I mean, it, they, they don't care who it hurts. They're just angry. And so scripture is very clear here. And, and maybe there's an overemphasis, but I believe the overemphasis is helping all of us to say, man, I don't want to go that far. I'm kind of liking this discouragement thing. I'm kind of feeling better about being a little down from time to time and just not letting that turn into anything that could get worse because, preacher, this is getting awful. And in the context of Hebrews 12, it gets worse because I really wish I could stop there. You say, preacher, could it get any worse? Notice the text. Because bitterness leads to profane living. Look at verse 16. See to it that no one fails to obtain the God and see to it that no one is sexually immoral. Or unholy like Esau. How many of you remember Esau? Abraham, Abraham had a son named what? Isaac. And Isaac had a son named, or twins named, Esau 
and Jacob. Esau was born first. Jacob was born second. And so read verse 16 again, that no one is sexually immoral. Now, what's interesting is there's no place in Scripture that we can see where it actually says that Esau had ever committed adultery or fornication. We don't have any place in Scripture. I mean, I've heard someone say, well, you know, other manuscripts or other ancient this. Well, I just pretty much stick with the word, you know. I don't have any proof that Esau was ever sexually immoral. So I think it might be saying this. Because the Bible doesn't say that the greatest form of sin is unfaithfulness to your spouse. But rather the greatest form of unfaithfulness is unfaithfulness to God. And I believe that is what scripture is teaching here. And there are other scriptures that support this like Jeremiah 3.1. Where it says you have prostituted yourself with many lovers. So why are you trying to come back to me says the Lord. The, King, the New King James says, you've played the harlot with many lovers. Return to me. James 4.4 4 says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So I think the Bible is, is saying that Esau was unfaithful to God. That the things of God meant nothing to him. I, I want to read you this in the New King James because it's interesting The New King James says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person. That word profane, get this, means secular. The word secular means doesn't care about the things of God. Just has no concern about the things of God. The things of God mean nothing to Esau. Now, you know the story of Jacob Jacob and Esau, right? They were twins. Esau was born first. Remember, Esau then would have been given the spiritual birthright, right? And so... This spiritual birthright ended up meaning nothing to Esau. They were two entirely different people. I mean, but our kids are different. Zoe's different than Joe. Joe's different than Mo. Mo's different than Chloe. I mean, there's similarities, but they're all different. Like Esau and Jacob are different. But sometimes those differences really don't mean anything. Jacob, everybody likes to make a big deal about Jacob. Kind of was more of a mama's boy, and he liked to cook, and he might have been on the cover of GQ. And then Esau, you know, he was a daddy's boy. He liked to hunt and fish, and he would have been on the cover of Outdoorsman, right? But who cares? Can I get an amen? Who cares? Our kids are different. That's not the problem. These little minor differences in personalities and what they like and don't like, the difference was this, that Jacob, for all of his faults, loved God. And Esau, in spite of everything that happened to him, was never humbled or broken. And so Esau comes in from hunting, remember the story. And Jacob's cooking a pot of stew, right? And Esau comes in and says, man, I'm starving. Give me some stew. And Jacob, hmm, smells good, doesn't it, Esau? You like it, don't you? Tell me your birthright. I'll give you some stew. Now what Esau should have done, right? My birthright, the spiritual blessing from my dad? Are you kidding me? But remember, the things of God meant nothing to him. So he says, birthright, who gives a rip, man? I want what I want. I'm starving. Give me some food. You can have a stupid birthright. Who gives a rip? I'm so, I want what I want. I want to satisfy my flesh. So Esau loses his birthright. And in that moment, something very clear 
is seen in his life. We see here that he shows the heart of a profane person. It reveals something. Because when you're in a crisis, listen, when you're in a trial, oftentimes it has a way of revealing something that's been happening for a very long time. Have you ever wondered why? Maybe you've had a pastor or know of a pastor. Honestly, if you don't know of one, you've read about one because they're popping up every day now, every week now. Here's a guy that's been pastoring for 30 years, and he's been preaching the word of God. He's been doing great things, and the next thing you know, he went to bed with a prostitute. And you're like, I don't get it. How could a guy preaching God's word? Let me tell you something. It reveals that something was going on under the surface for a very long time. How did that pastor, man, he was married for 34 years like Eric and Carol Ann. Or maybe this will be true about us. God forbid. God forbid, but let him that stand to take heed lest he fall. I can't believe it. He was preaching last week on trials. And the next week we found out. How did that happen? It will reveal something was going on for a very long time in my life. Trust me, it didn't happen this week. Are you with me? The crisis of life have a way of revealing something. Something was happening under the surface. Hey, it started as discouragement, and then we didn't deal with it. We let it become dislocation. We just decided that wasn't enough, so we got bitter. And then after we got bitter, we didn't react properly and, and, and repent and submit to God. And it turned into profane living. Because inevitably, refusing the trial results in profane living. If you don't humble yourself and submit to God, be sure your sins will find you out. And oh, how I wish we could just just stop now. But we're not done yet. There's one more. And I want you to see it. If we refuse what God has allowed in our lives... Profane living can turn into disqualification. Look at verse 17. Eventually, listen, eventually, if you continue down this path of refusing the trial, refusing the discipline, refusing what God has allowed in your life, you are giving proof that you never really have known the Lord. Because God's children never go this far. Did you hear me? God's children never go this far. Look, if you would, at verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. That's one of the scariest verses in all the Bible. No chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. I'm afraid that there may be too many Christians that think that I'll do what I want to do, and I'll get right with God when I'm ready. As if we've really got some sort of a flip that we could switch on and off with God, you know. And we just live our lives like that, you know. I, I'll just get right with God when I'm ready. And yet scripture is very clear when it says today. Today is the day of repentance. Don't harden your hearts one more day because you don't know if you have another day. And I may come back to that in my closing, but I want to get your attention in this moment. Because notice as the passage teaches, first of all, we see here in verse 17, the first statement right out of the box is this. For you know that afterward. And isn't that how it always is? Afterward. After I've done what I want to do, then I'll try God. After I live the life that I want to live, after that, maybe I'll put a little spiritual stuff in it. I want God and I want my private pleasure. I want God and I want my personal agenda. I want my cake and I want to eat it too. 
And then notice, afterward, he desired to inherit the blessing. It's almost as if he thought, what did I do for a pot of stew? What, what, what was I thinking? Why did I make this stupid decision? But then it goes on to say, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. In Romans 1, that's the same word for reprobate. He was rejected. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, it's the word disqualified. Paul, describing his own fear, said this. This is incredible. Think about this. Paul, the apostle Paul, said this. Here's what I fear. And here's why I discipline my body. Here's why I bring another suggestion. The reason why is that after preaching to others, which, am I doing that this morning? This is what I should do every Sunday. Every Sunday, anybody who ever preaches a gospel light should feel this way. After preaching to others, I myself should be a castaway or disqualified. It's almost as if Paul came to the conclusion that he realized the assurance of his salvation was not based on a prayer he prayed. But the assurance of his salvation was wrapped up in, does my life give evidence of my salvation? I have to ask myself that question, Vince, every Sunday morning. Am I living what I'm preaching? Am I just talking this or am I really walking it? This is the important truth. The evidence of our salvation is the fact that we are not just saying something, but we're living it. Amen. And so verse 17, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. How could this be? Church, his heart was so hard. He was playing games with God and repentance is not a game. It's a very serious thing. It's very serious. Repentance is coming to a place where you actually change your mind. You turn around. You stop what you're doing and you turn back to to God. Now let's talk about that verse in Hebrews 3.15. Today, if you hear his voice Why is it so important today? Because you don't know that you have tomorrow. Don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. We don't know that we have tomorrow. Today is the day to get saved, or today is the day to get right with God, or today is the day to accept your trial. Today is the day to submit yourself to Christ and make him Lord of not just your life to go to heaven, but your life down here as you are sanctified to become more like him. So respond to God today. Here's what we need in the church. We need real repentance. If we've ever needed it, we need it now. And I'm sure I'm not the first pastor through the centuries to say that. We need to ask God to give us a repentance over the hard-hearted, bitter way we've responded to the things that God has allowed to come into our lives. He's a good God. All of these things that he's allowed are refining us. And this morning, we would do good to stay under the refining fire of our loving Savior. We need to come to a place of genuine, true submission to God, to what he has allowed in our lives. Let's bow our heads, shall we? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. And just for a moment, would you just take a moment and meditate on this question? Please, here it is. What is the painful circumstance 
right now that God has allowed in your life? Let me encourage you just for a moment to look inside right now. Think about your life. Think about it. It it, it may not be as big as Robbie's testimony about losing a husband, but there's a trial. Could be something that happened years ago. Something that you wanted, but it hasn't happened yet. Or maybe it's something you never wanted that has happened. What is it? What is that painful circumstance? I'm going to ask you this morning to do something. Embrace it. Embrace it. God, it's not about me. It's about you. It's not about my desires, my flesh, my pleasure, my position. God, it's about you. And God, I accept what you've allowed in my life. And God, I want to submit myself to you. Could I pray over our church this morning? And as I pray over you, I'm going to ask you to just respond as God would have you to respond. As we sing this song, if you need to come and and pray at the altar, even if you just... I know this is not the most, an altar that's really conducive to comfortable praying. But if you feel like you need to or need someone to pray with you, or if you just want to stay in your seat for just a few moments before standing, or just stand and worship, whatever you need to do. If you've never been saved, I want to encourage you to come today and let Christ save you. Don't fail to obtain the grace of God for salvation. He wants this morning to save you. Don't harden your heart to that again. But if you are saved, don't fail to obtain the grace of God in sanctification. He's trying you. He's testing you. He has a purpose in all of this. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we come to you this morning with our hearts having been pierced by the word of God, and it hurts. Father, your word is a sword, and it cuts sometimes. And we need these warning messages, Father, to remind us of the importance of the Scriptures and the promises of God. And so, Father, we this morning come to you together collectively as a church, submitting ourselves to what you've allowed in our lives. Father, help us to help others not fail to obtain this wonderful good grace of a soul-satisfying God who offers us today the opportunity to draw closer to him to come closer and closer lord we want more of you but it only goes through the refiner's fire father may we not reject or resist but rather repent repent of that which is holding us back from from the peace of god from striving for that peace with others father remove the bitterness in our lives that is keeping us and holding us back and Father, before long, we'll begin to defile even our own family if we're not careful. Oh, God, we, we want to reject that and accept your love and your peace and your holiness. Oh, God, do a work in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. Father, help me as I face the next trial. And Father, I want to welcome it before it comes. Before it comes, God, I want you to know I'm I'm ready. Whatever that looks like. Father, I I trust that whatever it is, that you have a greater purpose for me. And it's holiness. And I'm more excited about that than ever. 
Father, I love you and I love our church. And Lord, take this passage and transform us. In Jesus' name, amen.